Welcome to your home inspector training. The subject this time around will be plumbing. I'm Garth Haslam, the home medic. We're going to cover in this segment, we're going to talk about lead-based plumbing and galvanized copper solder issues as respect to especially lead. We're going to talk about polybutylene plumbing, what that means. We're going to talk about the uh, more recent types of plumbing, uh, PECs, etc., the advantages and characteristics and claims associated with all of the above, the metal versus plastic. And uh, then we're going to finish up with a discussion about mana blocks. What we are not going to cover is water heaters. And the reason I'm not covering that one in the plumbing category is because that one's a big issue and it deserves its own segment. So we'll do that one separately. Let's go ahead and get started. Now, lead was used in the early 1900s. And in this case, we're talking about lead plumbing. You can often identify lead because usually it's so much more pliable, malleable, and a lead pipe is quite often going to be bent into conditions that you're not going to see in, uh, for example, maybe a copper or a galvanized sort of a line. Now, lead is highly corrodible, so you'll quite often see if the lead has survived until the day that you're actually listening to this podcast or actually inspecting for lead, you uh, will quite often see corrosion going on those. Lead is also reactive to water chemistry. So up until about the year 2000-ish, the lead would actually degrade. It would be washed away by the water being brought into the house. More recently, EPA has required that the water be depositional. Basically, you can either deposit on the inside of the pipe or you can remove from the inside of the pipe. And so EPA has required that water be of a chemistry that is more likely to deposit. This helps to keep the lead lined so that it doesn't get into your drinking water. As a result, lead and all other plumbing types of a metal nature are more likely to fail as a result of being filled up to the point that they can no longer deliver the water. In any case, uh, lead is reactive to water chemistry. You can sample it. Uh, If you do so, you're going to want to find probably the kitchen cold. You want to do it first thing in the morning before anybody has used that tap. If that's not possible, then you want to just find some tap that hasn't been used that day. You're going to fill up a quart of water using a jug that has been provided by the lab. You know, if you just use any old cup from wherever, Phillips 66 store, it's not going to be accepted at the lab. Now, lead has been found to affect brain development in unborns and newborns and children up to about five years old. That's the line on lead. For most of us, especially adult males, obviously a woman can still potentially get pregnant And if she's full of lead, then that can affect the child. For those of us who are adult men, less risk. Our brains are pretty much developed. Now, of course, I'm not going to begin to tell you that there is no risk from lead if you're a teenager or an adult man who has no risk of ever being pregnant. But that is the line that I understand. And, of course, nobody is going to tell you that anything is ever safe. And I am certainly not going to be the one to start 
but that's pretty much what's going on with lead. Now, lead, of course, as a home inspector, you're going to be asked to be able to identify a lead-based pipe, and there's a couple of ways of doing it. Obviously, sampling is one of the best ways because much of it is likely to be behind sheetrock or lath and plaster, and you just can't get to it. So sampling is one way to do it. If you can see the plumbing, quite often it will be bent and in certain locations, like I say, in, in ways that you just can't do to a different kind of plumbing. For example, copper and galvanized, they just don't bend where lead can. Another way is that lead is easily scratched, and when you scratch it, you see a lead-like color. Again, some of the other plumbing types, you scratch it with your fingernail and you don't get any results. If you scratch lead with your fingernail, you will actually scratch off the surface and you'll see a dull finish on the inside. That's another way to determine if you've got lead plumbing. Now, let's move on. We can go with galvanized. Now, like I say, lead was used in the early 1900s. Galvanized is steel with a zinc cover. Now... The thing with any metal is that it will fall somewhere along the chart of whether it's an anode or a cathode or somewhere in between. The idea is that dissimilar metals, when they come in contact with each other, one is the anode, one's the cathode, and that basically means that one of them will dissolve. So to prevent that from happening, you want to go with something like a plumber's putty or a non-metal barrier between the two so that you don't actually have anode and cathode in contact with each other. Now, with galvanized plumbing, they quickly recognized that steel alone is going to corrode. You're going to get the cathodic corrosion, and then the steel goes bye-bye. So what they did is they put the zinc over it, and the zinc is going to be what corrodes or fails, and it's going to protect that steel for much longer. So that is the construction of galvanized plumbing. You can very easily determine that again. It's got its own look and it's going to have that metal look on the surface. Going to identify it as galvanized plumbing. Obviously very different from the look that copper has. So galvanized was used pre-1960. The corrosion again builds up inside on galvanized and until the EPA like I mentioned changed their rules the corrosion would actually eat away from the galvanized and then you'd have a leak so the rules were changed actually for lead but it affected of course galvanized and all of their plumbing materials at the same time now instead of having material wash away from the inside out now you get deposition and you turn a half-inch diameter, inside diameter on the pipe into a sixteenth of an inch diameter and things start not working. So the theory is that the lead builds up and then you get failure that way. If you scratch galvanized and you actually succeed at scratching it, you're going to get a silver gray color. And galvanized does respond to a magnet. The lead, by contrast, does not respond to a magnet, and you're not going to get that silver-gray color there. So to be clear, one way to determine whether a pipe is lead or galvanized is if you scratch it and it is lead, you're going to get a bright silver-gray color, where if it's galvanized, it's going to be much more difficult to scratch or scrape, 
And what you're going to get when you do so is a much more dull color. And again, the galvanized response to a magnet. Now let's go to copper. Now copper, again, is more prone to freezing, just like some of the other varieties of metal plumbing. Now if you compare copper to, for example, PEX, Copper, and let's say that we've got a mountain cabin. You know, if you've got lead or galvanized, you're just hosed up there for one of a thousand reasons. And as as the inspector, you probably want to just mention it's not going to work very well. You know, lead is needs to be replaced anyway. Galvanized is way too old. It's unpredictable. They're not going to be there in their cabin full time. And the last thing they need is to have the galvanized, the old galvanized, burst on them while they're not there and create a swimming pool inside their cabin. So if they've got copper, again, that's still not great. I probably ought to clarify this. I'm assuming that if you've got a cabin, it's in the mountains, and if it's in the mountains, it's at a higher elevation, which means much colder temperatures. Now, if you live in Florida and you've got a cabin, who knows, maybe you'll be okay. But I'm assuming that you know the, the cabin is in a higher elevation. Going back to that, copper, before it bursts, will go up to 1.5 times its original size, and then it's done. It's going to burst, then you're going to have that flood. By contrast, PEX will go up to six times its diameter before it bursts. And that just doesn't happen because ice doesn't cause that much more of an increase in volume. Now, again, last thing I want to do is get sued, so I'm not going to say never, but let's say that PEX is a lot more resistant to ice issues than is copper or any other sort of metal plumbing. And that's the sort of information you're going to want to provide to your clients as well, is that if uh, you know maybe it's a second home for them, maybe it is in a very cold environment, maybe you're inspecting in northern Idaho or Connecticut, If that's the case, things can get cold and they are certainly going to want to consider going with an upgrade from a metal type plumbing to PEX. Now, solder is another one of those things you can look for. Most of the lead plumbing that was originally installed back in the early 1900s has gone. I very rarely see lead in the areas that I inspect. Mostly it's failed by now or it's been taken out for one reason or another. By contrast, uh, you still get lead solder occasionally. And again, if you scratch that, it can show its stuff. And usually, again, because of EPA regulations, the depositional nature of the water chemistry is coating any solder that might still be inside copper lines that were soldered with lead. Not all solder was lead, but some of it was. So you may have some clients that are interested in, in knowing whether they've got lead in their drinking water. If so, it's probably coming in by solder at this point. Regardless of the source, you can find out for sure by doing a water sample. You'll want to do some of your own homework or you can email me as to water labs that can test for lead in drinking water and they'll need to send you the kind of equipment that you need and instructions so that you don't screw it up. In addition, there are other materials for water flow, i.e. cast iron, but those cast iron is meant for sewer lines. It doesn't handle pressure very well and so it doesn't fit very well into this category 
as we're talking about generally plumbing lines, pressurized drinking water as opposed to sewage. Be aware that cast iron does happen inside homes. Again, if you see cast, it'll generally be a larger diameter. By larger diameter, I mean, you know, four to six inches. It'll be flowing out of usually toilets, that sort of thing. And it will usually be in older homes. If you've got a newer home, the cast iron's just not going to happen. That, that would be nuts. Maybe you do get uh, the occasional fruitcake who tries to put cast iron in because maybe he's got a big pile of it in grandpa's backyard. But uh, yeah, if you see that stuff, that is a sewage line. Now, that is the list of metal type plumbing. Then you start getting about 1978 to about 1995 when we started down the road of hey, let's go with plastic because then we don't have the joints. You don't have any solder. It's a lot easier to run from point A to B. It was an easy sell to get people to start using plastic as opposed to metal. And again, this started in about 1978. It seems like the 70s were the origin of all things, all bad ideas. And polybutylene was one of them. Polybutylene is now illegally illegal to use in new installations. It is illegal to manufacture as well. And I'm going to be inserting a little bit of my opinion here, but basically the lawyers got to it. So depending on where you live and work, my experience is that back east, uh, New York, Pennsylvania, You've got a lot more awareness and a lot more fear associated with polybutylene. You know, by contrast, if somebody lives further west, there's much less fear associated with it. And in my case, most of my clients have never heard of polybutylene. In any case, there was a successful lawsuit associated with it because, from my understanding, if it's improperly installed, it leaks. And, you know, my thing is pretty much anything that's improperly installed will leak, but There was a lawsuit, and so a lot of that got removed. I see that quite a bit used in installations that happen. Maybe you got a home that was built in 1970. This stuff was used from about 1978 to 1995. I actually see polybutylene in my area, mostly in stuff that was done in the 1990s. But it was commonly for sale at popular hardware stores, Home Depot, Lowe's, etc. And so maybe if somebody hooked up a water heater or a, you know, who knows what they hooked up, maybe it was a water softener, maybe it was a new sink that they decided to upgrade and they put the plastic plumbing beneath, that's where I see it a lot. Now, what I tell people, and this is my opinion, is that while I do write up polybutylene as being an issue at a house, I tell them it goes right on the bottom of the list. And you can decide whether you're going to put that there or not based on your own opinion, you know, what's going on in your area and your own research. It does need to be written up, and you can decide what the priority is based on what you find out for yourself. Now, polybutylene is going to be gray with a dull finish. It can also be, depending on the area that you live in, it can be white, silver, black, or blue. Now, the newer stuff, the PEX, is generally black, red, and white, so there is some overlap there. 
the polybutylene is going to be about a half inch to one inch diameter. Some say that the problem with polybutylene is the connections. I actually had a house that I bought to flip, and it had polybutylene, and that polybutylene was leaking. In that particular case, we didn't use a pressure clamp. Some bonehead had used a screw clamp to try and tie that polybutylene down, and a screw clamp on pressurized plumbing is never going to work, and it didn't, so hence the problem. That stuff was leaking, and so we had to reinstall that polybutylene, the, the clamp, so we could get that right. Now, polybutylene is usually stamped PB2110. That's a very good way of verifying that a gray sort of material or whatever color it may be is or is not polybutylene. Again, that's PB as in polybutylene 2110. Now, some of the research that I did does not actually claim that it's the clamp. Some of it says that the interior flakes off whereas others say that the problem is at the joints. Now, if the interior flakes off, the concept here is that you got water running through the pipe, and it actually scours some of the inner diameter off of the pipe, and that's what causes the failure. You know, that may or may not be the case. I'm not going to argue that one way or the other, but that is the, the other argument that's made. The other group, like I say, argues that the problem is at the joints, and that's where things fail. We've talked about cast iron as a metal plumbing material. If you lump sewage lines into plumbing, similarly, where we're into the plastic now, there are some plastic options for sewage plumbing, and that includes PVC and ABS. PVC is actually allowed as a drinking water source. It always makes me a little nervous because you'll actually have... PVC, and it will be labeled when it's proper. It's supposed to say NSF-PW, which is the National Sanitation Foundation saying that it's certified for PW, potable water. Now, other sorts of PVC, for example, the stuff that you get standard at Home Depot is not going to be certified that way, and it's for sprinkler systems. But there is actually a variety of PVC that is considered to be okay for indoor use. My thing as the home inspector is that I'm a little nervous about that stuff because when little Johnny starts swinging his bat or a broom handle or starts throwing baseballs down in the basement, PVC is more brittle than, for example, galvanized or copper or polybutylene or PEX. I always shudder a little when I see PVC down there. It is allowed. It's uh, not something that you're technically supposed to write up because it's allowed by code as of the time that I'm doing this recording. But like I say, it leaves me a little bit nervous. If, for example, there's an earthquake, the PVC is going to be the first one to go. So I just kind of leave that in the back of your head, maybe provide that information as you talk to your buyers about the strengths and weaknesses of PVC, should you see it there. Okay, let's go ahead and hit some of the newer sorts of materials that have been out in the last number of years. One of those is polyethylene. Now, the research that I have done indicates that that is often a black material, 
My experience is that it's kind of a milky white in the area that I live in. In any case, it is illegal for use in a pressurized environment. It wasn't designed for that. And I know that it leaked on me. In my particular case, what happened is that stuff was hooked up to a drinking fountain that I just happened to have in the home. That drinking fountain was awesome. But what I did not know is that the drinking fountain was hooked up with this polyethylene. So one random day, this polyethylene decided to just break. And all of a sudden, I had all this water in this bedroom. I just happened to go down into that room in the basement. And that was a room that I rarely, if ever, went into. I went weeks and sometimes months at a time without going into that space. But I went down there at that moment, and that room had flooded, but at least I kept it from becoming a six-inch flood across the entire basement. Now, this stuff, when I see polyethylene, that stuff scares me a whole lot more than polybutylene. But like I say, it's the polybutylene that got the attention of the legal people. So if you see that stuff, it is illegal for use now as a pressurized drainage system. So for example, if it can still be used the condensate drain from furnaces or if you got basically any just drain where you don't have a pressurized system it can still be used is is my understanding. Now, again, I hesitate because the area that I inspect in and the time that I am doing this may be different than what you're dealing with, so you want to verify this yourself. I want to also talk about PEX. Now, that's the good stuff. In this area, it comes in red and black, or red and blue, I mean. It does sometimes come in black. In my area, I never see it in black. It's generally in red and blue. Sometimes I will see occasionally some PEX in a solid white. The difference between the solid white PEX and the milky polyethylene is that the the polyethylene is kind of, sort of see-through, and the white PEX is very much solid, non-see-through stuff. There's a lot of nice things about PEX. Like I would mentioned in the beginning, copper will expand to 1.5 times its capacity with ice, and then it'll burst. PEX will actually go six times. So that makes that PEX pretty much as ice-proof as possible. Because from what I understand is that when water expands, it goes to 110% of its volume when it goes to ice. So 110% is good. In any case, copper will burst routinely when you've got ice inside of there, and PEX does not. So it does so much less frequently. You can hear me uh, hedging on my words, and you'll want to do the same thing, of course. You never want to be an absolute 100% anything because, yeah, the lawyers love that. Now, metal versus plastic. There are a number of advantages with plastic that you just don't see with metal. I know there's a lot of guys that still swear by copper especially, but... You know, it does have some advantages, but there are no shortage of advantages associated with using PEX. With PEX, you have the corrosion resistance. Obviously, it's not a metal, so it's not going to corrode. So you've got that huge advantage. In addition, you've got the freeze resistance. You've got an ease of installation, especially if you're going with a mana block. Now, the mana block, I actually, I'll hit that a little later, but basically... 
if you've got a mana block, you've got individual lines going to each water source. You know, you'll have a single line going to, for example, the kitchen cold, and another single line going to the master bathroom shower hot. And when that happens, you don't have any joints, and you got a much smaller likelihood of having a rupture where, or a burst or a leak because there's just no joints. The only ones there would be, of course, would be the one at the mana block on one end and at the shower on the other end. So you got an ease of installation because where it is so flexible, you don't have to be putting in T's and elbows and, and that sort of thing. Much easier to get that stuff run from point A to B. There's no galvanic corrosion because there's no corrosion at all. You just don't have to worry about whether you're connecting up copper with lead, with steel, with zinc, or whatever it may be. There's just no metal there to corrode, so you don't have those sorts of things. You have less friction loss. Now, especially with galvanized, it starts as uh, maybe a half-inch diameter hole, and then over time you're going to get deposition there, and the hole is going to become much smaller. You've got a very rough interior surface that's going to cause friction loss, and so you lose some of the pressure. You have less deposition because the interior of the PEX is not going to attract calcium and dirt and those sorts of things like a steel pipe will. You're going to have a quicker response time to the faucet, and I appreciate that. So, for example... What might be happening? We've all got in the shower in the morning and wished it was hot right now. And unless you've got a circulated system in that house, it takes some amount of time for the hot water from the water heater to actually get to the shower head. And, of course, the bigger the home, the longer the wait. Now, if somebody wants to spend a billion dollars and do a circulated system, that's great. But for the rest of us, we pretty much have to wait. Now, if you've got a copper line, you've got maybe a half-inch diameter, interior diameter. If you've got PEX, you've got a much smaller diameter because you've got what's called a home run, where, again, you're running from the point of distribution at the mana block directly and with no other T's or links to the shower. And so there's a smaller volume of water that has to be replaced by the water heater. As a result that smaller volume will fill more rapidly and you can get hot water to the shower again more rapidly. This is all awesome. So that to me is one of the strongest advantages of having PEX. You get the water hammer issues that do not happen with PEX. Now, for those of you that are as old as I am, you may or may not have been to uh, maybe grandma's house back in the day, you know, 1960, 1970 something, and you turn off the bathroom sink, and you hear this bing, 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 bing going on through the entire plumbing system. And what's happening is you're getting instantaneous pressures that go from whatever the city water pressure is, say 60 PSI. You're actually getting a reverberation, an echo, if you will, of instantaneous pressures that go from 60 to 2 or 300 PSI. And that is that pressure that is just bouncing back and forth all the way through the system. That happens with the older metal systems, and it is really hard on those systems, and it routinely causes those systems to rupture at the, at the weak spots. That's called water hammer. 
Now, PEX, again, you don't have that problem because the PEX line is less rigid and it can expand just a little bit and take in that pressure rather than force it to just bounce up and down the plumbing lines inside the house. So that's kind of awesome. Reduces energy costs is another one of the bullets that we have for PEX. If you can imagine, if you've got a copper line, again, you've got a half-inch, give or take, interior diameter, versus a PEX line where you might have a quarter-inch interior diameter, there is a lot less water in that PEX line. And the hot lines going to the bathrooms and showers, etc., all of that column of water has to be filled before you actually get hot water delivered to the sink or the shower. And if it is PEX, you might have maybe a half a gallon max has to be replaced. If it is copper, you might have a couple of gallons, maybe more, that has to be replaced before you actually get hot water delivered to the sink. So as a result, uh, you've got those energy costs, uh, the cost to heat that water that became stagnant and then cool, those energy costs go away to a great extent when PEX is used. Now, disadvantages for PEX, there are some. Uh, one is that it's got a uh, much lower melt point. Obviously, galvanized and copper and even lead-based plumbing, they don't melt. Usually, the house is going to burn down before a galvanized line is going to melt. So that will be the last of the issues in a fire. By contrast, if you've got a home fire and you've got PEX, and they do design it so that it's more fire resistant, but it's still got a much lower melt point. So that's, that's a weakness. The other one it's got is it's got a poor resistance to ultraviolet light. So maybe we have an unfinished basement and sun shines through day after day. You've got that pack sitting right there, and that can be a problem. Another thing that can happen is maybe you get this coil of PEX plumbing that maybe Joe Plummer gets it and he throws it in the back of his truck and he drives around and he's got it in his truck, who knows, for three months. And all this time, that PEX is being aged by the sun. And finally, he decides that he doesn't want to use this PEX. Maybe he's got too much. Maybe you know, he's got some in the warehouse. Maybe his buddy needs some. And so his buddy gets it and he puts it in his truck and he drives around some more. So you can imagine that this PEX is going to have poor, where it has poor resistance to ultraviolet light, to UV rays, sometimes it can be very damaged by the time it gets installed. When that happens, that PEX will be in whatever level of compromised state that it is in. It is nowhere near as good as it was, and it's certainly not going to be as reliable. You can't have issues that way. Finally, I want to talk about the mana block because that is very much a, an important part of a plumbing system. Now, mana blocks are kind of the plumbing equivalent of what a breaker box does for electrical lines. The difference is that where a breaker on an electrical line will go to maybe a bedroom and you'll have half a dozen, maybe eight or ten lights and plugs, on a mana block, you've got that line that's going out from the center point, the mana block, and that one line goes to one place. Like I say, it might go to your kitchen cold or to the bathroom sink hot or to the shower cold. Whatever it is, you'll have a home run to a particular location, usually. Now, sometimes you'll get plumbers who will get started with a mana block and then they get lazy and then they'll run a T 
so that you've got one valve feeding a couple of locations. And it's allowed, it's poor form, but it's allowed. That is actually one of the things that happened on the polyethylene fail that I had in my previous home. I was grateful that I had a mana block because I was able to just turn off that one valve and leave the other, I don't know, 20 valves on. And so I was still able to live in the house. But I found that it not only turned off the water to my drinking fountain, but it also turned off the cold to my half bathroom. And so, again, that's a sign of poor form. We had to basically wash our hands with hot water in that bathroom until things got fixed. The rest of that story, by the way, is we had it professionally fixed. I didn't want to put my name on that. We did a homeowner's insurance claim. And so we had that done professionally, and they got the sheetrock all back up and done and textured and finished and painted. And about two weeks later, I had the same thing happen again a quarter inch away from where the first leak happened. This time, I talked them into removing all of that polyethylene, even where it hadn't apparently been a problem, and they ran picks all the way to the drinking fountain and into the cold on that half bathroom. They didn't want to pay for another homeowner's insurance claim, and I certainly didn't want to make another one. So I don't want to say that was a happily ever after story because after two homeowners insurance claims, the insurance company wasn't sure they wanted to keep me around. That was a lose for everybody. Again, you'll want to do your own study on the polyethylene. If you see that milky white stuff, see if you can find a reason to cast a shadow on the stuff. Now, again, it needs to be based on something. On research that is published, you know, just based on my experience, the polyethylene is much less of a product than the polybutylene, but the polybutylene has all the headlines and the claim in the legal department. Okay, so finishing up on the mana block, basically what's going on there, like I mentioned, it's kind of the distribution box for plumbing. There are some inspection points on that. You want to make sure that all of the valves are tight. You know, if, if any of them show a history of leaking, you can want to write that up. You want to look on the floor beneath the mana block and make sure there's no drip history. Look for signs of white around some of the connections. If that's the case, then you have a leak history going there. You don't want to actually turn those valves because often when you turn those and they haven't been exercised, the mere act of exercising them causes them to leak, and then you are the one who gets sued for exposing the problem. Even though you didn't cause the problem, you made it happen, so you are at fault. So you don't want to do that. But you do want to make sure that the client knows where the key is. It should be sitting right there at the top of the mana block, and you want to show them how to turn that on and off. Now, the mana block valve is going to be a diamond, and if the diamond is aligned with the pipe, then it's on. If you were to use that key and turn that valve so that the diamond is perpendicular to the pipe, it's off. So it is a simple 90-degree turn in either direction. You've got a globe valve in there. Those are very simple. 
and they can still go bad, but you want to explain to the client how to use that mana block. Otherwise, it becomes useless to them. Anytime anything goes wrong, they have to go hunting for the water main, which, by the way, you should also be identifying that water main to the client as well. Okay, wrapping up then, we have talked about inspecting for lead plumbing and when it was used and why it was an issue and what it does to people. We've talked about the how it affects brain development in the unborn and newborns. We've talked about galvanized plumbing, how to identify that. We've talked about how it was used in, uh, prior to 1960 and the scratch test and the fact that it does respond to a magnet. We've talked about copper and its characteristics. Then we went to polybutylene, its advantages, its characteristics, how to identify polybutylene, and what the issues are associated with that. We moved to polyethylene, and then we moved to PEX, which at the time of this recording is the material that is by far the most often used and most preferred by plumbers. Then we talked about the disadvantages of PEX and finished up with a discussion about mana blocks. This is all information that you are going to be expected to know as the home inspector. This is very basic information that, like other segments that I do, this is the kind of stuff that your clients are just going to expect that you know. There are a thousand items more that you can learn on this subject and so many others But that will be your own research, and again, it will vary based on what state you're in and what the year may be. This will get you to a basic level, but you want to make sure that you understand it clearly. Again, to finish up, I want to just have you remember that it is more about respecting your client. It's not about inspecting so much, although you're expected to cover that base well. But it doesn't matter how well you do that if you're not respecting your client as well. Making sure that their questions get answered, making sure that taking the time that they need to understand and to feel comfortable about what's going on with the house. And if you don't know, you don't know, there's nothing wrong with saying, I will look that up or let me refer you to a higher power who knows something in that category. It is clear and obvious that you are expected to know everything about everything on the one hand, and I try to give you a lot of information about everything. On the other hand, we all understand that uh, nobody really does know everything about everything. So give them everything you've got, and they'll acknowledge that. They'll feel that. They'll, They'll get that. And the rest, you can help them find some other way. Go out there. Do me proud.